Welcome to the Proteomics in Proximity podcast, where your co-hosts, Dale Yuzuki, Cindy Lawley, and Sarantis Klamidis from Olink Proteomics, talk about the intersection of proteomics with genomics for drug target discovery, the application of proteomics to reveal disease biomarkers, and current trends in using proteomics to unlock biological mechanisms. Here we have your hosts, Dale, Cindy, and Sarantis. Here we are with another episode of Proteomics in Proximity. I'm your host, Dale Yuzuki, with my co-hosts, Cindy Lolly and, and Sarantis. And we are here today to talk about cancer and specifically cancer immunotherapy and looking at new biomarkers for predicting immunotherapy response. We are looking at an article uh, published in 2021 called Plasma Proteomics Identifies Leukemic leukemia inhibitor factor, LIF, as a novel predictive biomarker of immune checkpoint blockade resistance. Now, this particular topic... That is a mouthful. It is a mouthful. (laughs) Okay. The first author is Laureate. Like I mentioned, it was in uh, Annals of Oncology and was published in 2021. What's interesting, right, is we're talking about immune checkpoint blockade resistance. So these are PD-1 and PD-L1 uh, therapies that have really revolutionized uh, cancer treatment. Specifically, I mean, backing up a bit, immune checkpoint uh, blockade uh, uh, inhibitors, right? These particular ICBs called uh, have is credited with saving the life of Jimmy Carter, right? He came down with very serious melanoma. He's still alive. I think he's what ninety eight, or he's really getting up there. But he's uh, his life has been saved. And this particular paper is explaining right new predictors of ICB resistance because it's not e- equally effective in other types of cancers. And yeah, so and I'll, just go ahead. I'll, oh, sorry, I just wanted to add a little bit in there. So just stepping back one more step back is you know tumors tend to evade the immune system. Right, so they they tend to grow uh, often unchecked, and uh, and one of the mechanisms for that hiding or that evasion of the immune system is this PD one and and its ligand PDL one uh, that connection, and so these checkpoint inhibitors cut that connection and allow then the tumor in a subset of patients, not majority of patients that are treated. It, it's, it's actually only, what is it, 35% effective, something around there. So so yep. in a subset of patients, Jimmy Carter included, uh, this was actually an effective way to open up the immune system to see the tumor and then infiltrate the tumor. And so some of the ways of, of evaluating how these ICB therapies are working is by looking at infiltration of the immune system into a tumor. And, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And for melanoma, it's extremely effective. It's for the other cancers where it's not very effective. So it's in a terms solid of, tumor. Yep. Yeah, solid tumors. Yep, yep. Very good. Sarantis, uh, uh, you were just going to ask. Sarantis. No, I mean it's just yeah. no. I just uh, just to mention that there are antibody. It's a therapy based on antibodies, right? That targets uh, either PD one, PD one, and this in, in conjunction with other chemotherapies, where um, the success rate is getting increased. But still, as you mentioned, uh, say the thirty-five percent of the patient respond to the treatment. And uh, I think it's really important that new biomarkers or uh, a new uh, molecules that are druggable and they can help increase uh, the rate and the outcome of uh, the clinical outcome of the patient, right? And as far yeah. as predicting... And this alone goes to this paper as well. 
Right. And as far as predicting, right, uh, ICB uh, uh, responsiveness, right, for I was involved in ctDNA analysis for a couple years, right, from 2015 to 2020. And they're all the rage was looking at tumor mutational burden that is looking mm-hmm. at right TMB, the, TMB, TMB, yeah, TMB, yep. TMB, TMB, <laughs> try looking Micro- at whole exomes, yeah. right? Looking at you know tissue biopsies, looking at CT circulating tumor DNA is what CT DNA is, and trying to get this idea right of okay, if if there's a high mutational load of the particular cancer, this person is more likely to respond to immune checkpoint inhibitor treatment. And they tried to normalize different enrichment methods. They tried to get, you know, all this work around it. And it really wasn't all that predictive. I mean, the R values were about 0.7. And then it, a multiplex immunohistochemistry was all the rage. <laughs> so I saw that wave. So another, another what we call companion diagnostics. So these are tools that, that physicians are trying to use in order to guide an understanding of who might be better responsive to such therapies. Yeah, please go and, ahead, Dale. And, and so companies like Acoya and other spatial right imaging, I think Millipore also had a hundred plex kind of thing. Anyway, there are all these different companies doing multiple like uh, particular antibodies and immunostaining. Immuno, that's what immunohistochemistry is, is you're staining with antibody and detecting it with fluorescence. And they're trying to get that and they're able to up right the predictive power just incrementally. So that is why the hunt for biomarkers is still on. And How do another, I predict? You know, another for point an, there, Dale, I'm sorry, another point also here that is a lot of immunostochemistry is based on biopsies, right? And quite invasive. Exactly. Because, uh, and then I think exactly. the most important part here is in this paper, they see the value of having the plasma proteome that's less invasive and uh, can Very help and support point. and all the findings of, of, uh, of uh, things that they can see with immunostochemistry, yeah. for example. Already and and the question there. is, right, even with the biopsy samples, you know, even with the sort of invasive yeah. methods, it's yeah. still not predictive enough, right? That's Where, right. They call bit. it imperfect predictors, right? Which, yeah. you know, they're still seeking better predictors because still, even with those guided tools, 35% are responding and, and the majority are not. So if we're going to give the right treatment to the right patient at the right time, we have to have better tools for that. And and can I just say that this mm. paper is so elegantly written? Mm. I highly recommend it. I just think these authors, I don't know if you've seen them speak, both Laureate as well as um, mm. Antoine uh, uh, Italiano, mm. amazing speakers, both on YouTube, highly recommend. Ah, um, and following yeah, that's them. Italiano and Laureate. Uh, they're at the Gustave Roussy. Is that in Paris? Or is it it's multiple institutes, It's their right? cancer Paris, center. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Grand yeah. Paris, I think, is the is where the clinical trials for these cohorts, mm. the validation and discovery cohorts, were mm. are based. They're still recruiting. Mm. These are phenomenally cutting edge and studies. not so. We're looking at tumor initial burden, right, from a genomics perspective. You're looking at IHC <laughs> from a tissue histology based perspective. There's even effort around microcytal instability <laughs> to yeah. go back to the another genomics. Another genetic tool. Another yeah, genetic yeah. tool, right? Looking at it again, still not good enough. And yeah. Sarantis, you mentioned, right, the power of circulating biomarkers. You might say, well, haven't been people been looking at this before? I, mean, I think yes. I mean, there was all the right tools, actually, right? I mean, I think here is something to, to say and bless about holy technology, right? Because it uh, gives this high throughput thing to check. You know, before it was mass spec, it was a little more difficult. And more, it's not so mm. much about throughput. I, I think it's more easy 
nowadays with having this NGS based technology and yeah. screen like uh, and what technology right and it's a it's a cytokine right so cytokines are these low abundant uh, proteins right so very low abundance and not easily seen with mass spec without a Absolutely. large amount of sample or subtraction methods and so having the O-link PEA that hooks this proximity extension assay that hooks these low abundant proteins out of solution and, and helps us count their abundance is, uh, is I think, a great, it's, a, it's just a great use case. And again, uh, talking about like uh, how you close the loops, right, and you go a little bit more to the molecular, you have the leaf protein, but then uh, brings together transition functions like STAT3, for example, right? I mean, you open up completely a pathway of uh, target proteins that could be draggable, but also could be potential novel biomarkers. It's not like mm. one protein, there's a completely pathway. And I think tools in the future, like Holink Insight that we introduced, it will help a lot of people to understand pathways and how other actually target molecules, right, can help and enhance uh, drug development processes and biomarker identification. And yeah. Sarantis, you mentioned Olink Insight. For those who haven't heard the podcast with Hilda Anderson talking about Holding Insight, I refer to to that. I think it's episode number five. At any rate, Sarantis, there's a question that I have, right, from, a again, looking at uh, uh, soluble biomarkers in plasma. Uh, the question I have is, is the signal sufficient? I mean, somebody may have advanced you know, tumor status, I mean, this particular paper used advanced NSCLC uh, as their sort of uh, a test case. Uh, is there enough signal there? I mean, somebody has, you know, a tumor in a particular area of their body, but we're looking at the entire sort of plasma. I mean, the, the blood volume of an individual is on the order of what, a couple liters, right? Maybe. That's true. Yeah. That's true. It's always difficult to, I mean, of course, here they have much samples, right? We try biopsies, much samples uh, with yep. the plasma samples, and they try to, to see correlations. And then they did, as Cindy mentioned, a really elegant way to check with RNA sec to see, for example, uh, B cells or uh, differentiate the other T cells, for example. I think it's uh, looking in the obics perspective gives more power to this respect. Yeah, that's, that's my that's my well, feeling. Well, and the imaging as well, right? So, so yeah. lift. I mean, this. I, I think Sarantis, you said, you know, the insight tool allows you to see multiple pathways and interactions among pathways. And we expect no. most diseases we've seen are polygenic and there's going to be multiple pathways that are involved and probably a signature of maybe 20, 20 or so proteins that we'll need to understand to really use it for say a companion diagnostic in the future. If we, we move through clinical utility in this case, it's rather remarkable that it's one cytokine that has that signal where low versus high were predictive of of um, progression, uh, free survival. Did I say that right? PFS, yeah, and overall survival, and uh, that's kind of remarkable. But I also want to point out the tertiary lymphoid structure correlation. So there's actually yeah. we've got this imaging data from these biopsies, as you say, that's very invasive, right? And that the that you can actually see and count these lymphoid structures, which are just sort of localized. Um, immune system, uh, adaptive immune uh, clusters that are responding to the tumor. And that also was a correlate to that same cytokine, which I, f I find that to be pretty remarkable. Absolutely. That's a great point. So, Sir, I just want you to take us from the top in terms of talking about the experimental design. Yeah, I mean, uh, they try a cohort of uh, 95 cancer patients actually treated with uh, immunologic point blockade. 
uh, anti-PDL1. And uh, they use uh, the Olint Explorer, 1,536, like more than 1,500 proteins. And uh, among, this was their, like our, uh, our cohort, the, the, their discovery cohort. And then there was a validation cohort with flammation panel with more than 290 uh, patients, 96 proteins, where they see actually really nice correlation with data that they have seen with the uh, Explore panel. That's also really nice because our targeted and Explore panel approach, they go head, hand by hand. And that's really great and really nice to see how reproducible our assays, even though the high from high throughput to low throughput, right? And that's, that's really great and nice finding. And uh, the first, uh, one of the first biomarkers that popping up to their, uh, to their data set was the leaf, that uh, like high levels of leaf in this plasma was correlated with the poor clinical outcome of the patient, related with the immunoblockade. That was the first and more remarkable, uh, uh, actually, data. Yeah, it's a really good point, Sarantis. This is true. Like they call it discovery cohort and validation cohort, but not only is it a discovery cohort where they discovered the signal and then validated it, but they also used our discovery tool, right? The yeah. Explore. At that exactly. time, this was one of the first Explore publications. And then they moved it to a lower plex where they could get the same markers. Yeah. And of course, that's going to be a lower cost. So they were able to do more samples in that validation cohort, which I, yeah. I like. I hadn't thought about the fact that the that it parallels you know, the discovery and validation also parallels the intent to some extent of, of how groups are using our products, sometimes moving to a target 96, but sometimes even moving to a, a flex panel or a lower plex panel. Um, yeah. Anyway, I just, I like that, that characterization that you made. And if I understand correctly, the discovery and validation cohorts for from two independent clinical trials, is that correct? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Both still recruiting, right? So still, I would expect more to come uh, here. And different type of cancer, right? Different type of uh, solid cancer for bladder to non-small cell lung cancer. They have different type of prostate, I think. Also, they have they have different cancer uh, cancer types. It's like more universal, like looked like more universal uh, biomarker, actually. Yeah, I missed that. That's an interesting aspect too. Yeah, no. I, um, good catch. Yeah, both out of Gustav Rusi, yeah. as as Dale mentioned earlier. So yeah, so these, this was the uh, the match R cohort. So I have it written down. I'll actually read it off. Uh, prospective trial to study the evolution of clonal architecture of tumors from patients treated with molecular targeted agents. So that that's the match R. That was the discovery cohort where they use the Explore. And I think um, I think you mentioned Sarantis ninety some odd uh, samples or patients in that were used yeah. from that. And then um, and then the premise, the validation cohort, where they used the target, our qPCR readout, it was the predictive markers of immune-related adverse events in patients treated with immune-stimulatory drugs. So again, that's the premise trial. So yeah, a lot of great stuff coming out of this group. So then as far as, uh, Cindy, you mentioned this idea of a tumor lymphoid or tertiary lymphoid structure, right? That's right. And this is then a feature of good response. Is that correct? So it's, yeah. Uh, so I believe the relationship was low lymph with tertiary lymphoid structures. So meaning my understanding 
uh, and Sarantis, please check me on this. My understanding is when you have these, um, these sort of ectopic lymphoid organs that develop in these non-lymphoid tissues, that they're a sign of, of immune infiltration from adaptive immunity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, no. so that's, uh, that's telling us that there's some element of the tumor that's visible to the immune system. And that's, that's the, that's like the Holy grail, right? It's if the you goal. Can, yeah, yeah. If yep. you can manage to not turn on autoimmunity and some issue, right. You don't want to, you don't want the immune system to go haywire and, and get inflammation out of, out of control. That's what kills a lot of COVID patients, right? You want to, you want to keep that inflammation in check, but you want to open up the tumor to the immune system. So you have a very targeted kill as opposed to sort of traditional chemotherapy agents that would take, you know, us to death's door because it killed, um, non specifically would kill off all fast growing cells, right? Which is why, you know, people lost hair, lost nails. You know, these are fast growing cells in the body and you just carry it right. I'm oversimplifying obviously, but, but you know, this is the promise of the future yep. of, uh, of cancer treatments. Yep. And, and it's like this, these tertiary lymphoid structures are a sort of in vivo validation, right? Yes. The marker is is measuring what we want to measure, which is, yeah. well is said. this person responding or a person not going to respond? Right. 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 Yeah, exactly. And without having to go in and do a biopsy to see these tertiary lymphoid structures, right? If you can, if you can, as you said earlier, Sarantis, if you can, can evaluate it in a blood draw, that's, that's exciting. Yeah. I mean, you think about how sick these patients are, right? These were advanced NSCLCs were the majority of the samples. I think bladder cancer was a minority of the original 95 samples. And I think there had other tumor types in there to represent, right, the discovery phase. Uh, Sarantis, yeah. what can you mention? Oh, go ahead, Linda. Go oh, ahead, Cindy. I, yeah, I was going to... I was just going to, you just reminded me um, that in the results, they actually characterized the difference in progression-free survival and overall survival. And we're talking months, right? These are people that are maybe living two months versus 21 months. Yes, and so that's it's a, a great point. It's a, and, and I think even by the time they did analysis that, and, and of course you have to qualify for clinical trials. So you have to have already had um, a treatment fail, right? Uh, there's several yep. checkpoints I think they have through their cancer center that Antoine talks about, but, but, you know, we're talking about, um, people that are very sick and at very high risk of, of dying. And, uh, and this gives them can sometimes maybe, um, give them, you know, five to 10 times more time than, um, than they would have had otherwise. And hopefully with a less invasive, um, therapy, although I, I don't know as much about the side effects of this. I mean, Cindy, you bring up a good point in that these were advanced by advanced, meaning they were metastatic, right? They already had mm -hmm. stage four or stage three, right? Really high stage uh, lung cancer, and it already spread to other organs. And I think I was looking at, I was thinking about this this morning, where at the 50% overall survival curve, right, it was maybe five months and then the uh, with the lift uh, low, that's five times that over about 20 months. Yeah. And so I was asking my boys, yeah. taking them to school, how much is 15 months worth, right? Meaning, yeah. right, yeah. from five-month point to 15 months more, that's mm -hmm. the difference. And you think when every month counts, I mean, th these people have, right, advanced, uh, uh, basically fatal lung cancer. 
But with this treatment, you're given a, what a, a year over a year. How much is a year of your life worth? Yeah, you know? and 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 it's such a personal choice, right? Because it also depends upon what that the quality of life yes. is in that year, yes. right? Which is something that's that's really yes. So as here, we get older, we think more and more about these things, right? right? And also, I think it's a nice way to monitor, right? In the way that you can see the response and you can have something to monitor. And I think that's a big yeah. useful tool if you would like to combine other therapies in the future, right? Let me go yeah. you know when you monitor how people they respond, having something that is less invasive, more easy to, to handle in a way, more easy to understand. And uh, I think it's a, it's a great it's a great tool. And it's a great it's a great finding and opens a new ways yeah. of of seeing science in the future, right? Yeah, yeah. interesting. Good point. Yeah, because yeah. if it's not working, you get off it, right? And you yeah. just get that quality exactly. of life back, perhaps. But yeah, it just depends yeah. upon what the side effects of, of any given therapy are. And certainly the ones today are much better on on overall than, than the ones 20 years ago. Mm. Now, since a high level of this LIF inhibitory factor, right, uh, leads to poor outcome, did I read this correctly? It's actually now considered a drug target. Well, it's. I think. Yeah, yeah go ahead, Cindy. Please, please go ahead. Yeah, I actually don't know. Please, Sarantis. I think they have some. They're thinking of. I don't know if it's somewhere in the discussion. They mentioned that they're yeah. thinking like for other antibody against the exactly. The leaf, right? Like it's monoclonal antibodies against against leaf. It would be a target. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing yes. Yeah, because I think it's like a cytokine that is like a, a differentiation, regulates differentiation. But and it I think depends it's also, on if it's. Yeah. I was just gonna say it depends on if it's causal or if well, it's. That's the um, thing. Yeah. If it's yeah. if it's the results of the yeah, disease, right? True. So it's if true. it's a useful thing to monitor to know what how someone's responding, then yeah. we wouldn't want to drug it. But I think that's interesting, right? That's, yeah, I, you would imagine the knockout ma mice are in, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> They're in generation two. They're in the F1. Right. got the F1 cross going on right now. So That's right. I mean, Jackson I, Labs is probably yeah, there you all go. over this. <laughs> Who knows? Well, there you go. I think, well, I think where it was, did they give also any clue in terms of what their next steps would be? I mean, since it's a single marker, right pretty straightforward to implement i think looks like since the numbers they are still small i think but, but mm. cindy correct me if i'm wrong there you know i think it needs more bigger numbers right and bigger cohorts and uh, different clinical trials i don't know cindy correct me if I'm wrong you are you are the expert of the of the big samples and the big cohorts. Yeah, and, I mean, what uh, was a ninety-five in the discovery, and then two ninety-two in the in yeah. the sort of validation. Uh, I mean, in cancer, naturally, the numbers tend to be relatively small, right? In terms of they're not in the thousands; they're in the hundreds. Cindy, do you think that you know th this? These numbers need to be larger. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think, yeah, no doubt, no doubt at all. <laughs> It's uh, uh well, but I think I think the the burden of this uh, when this is a question, the burden of use of this as a as a companion diagnostic, which I think is the the immediate proposal, I think further down the line, you know, establishing causality rather than consequential, that it's consequential to to the state that um that there there must be a lower burden for establishing a biomarker as opposed to establishing a monoclonal antibody therapy. Yeah. Yes, and, and I don't I don't have that, you know, 
set out in data, but I think that's the immediate or the near term uh, exciting promise here is is that it could be used as a companion diagnostic. And they actually broke down the use of LIF high versus low and the TPS scores, right, which were the ones that, that Dale mentioned. So the um, the tumor mutation burden along with, you know, basically trying to characterize this this ligand expression, uh, the tumor mutation burden, the microsatellite instability, and the immunohistochemistry, using those which are established scores in conjunction with LIF uh, showed utility, right? So that, I thought that was a logical progression in their analysis that I thought was interesting, but also requires larger sample sizes because now you're breaking your numbers into quadrants and you need sufficient sample numbers in each of those quadrants, right? Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Well, any other final comments before we wrap this one up? I, I no, think... It, no, I'll, yes, I'll go just, ahead, Cindy. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I'm so sorry. I just am so excited about this paper, Sarandos. I, <laughs> I think I've stepped on you three times. Oh. Um, I... I just highly recommend that people keep an eye on these authors because, like I said, they are elegant writers. They speak with such clarity, and they have been driving the use of genomic tools in demonstrating um, utility in cancer for years, right? Cutting edge right on that right on that cusp. So, sorry, Sarantis, your turn. <laughs> No, I think I think the method for me it's the most important thing. You know, go from invasive to non-invasive methods. Uh, that's 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 the clever thing on this uh, oh, on this story. Yeah. And of course, I mean, you can back it up with multiomics like imaging, RNA assay. Uh, but I think the method is is brilliant. That's that's pretty much how I see it. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. Till next time. Take care. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Proteomics in Proximity podcast, brought to you by Olink Proteomics. To contact the hosts or for further information, simply email info at olink.com. Hold up. 